With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. It's the Penn State preview. That means it's Doug Maurice and old friend of the pod, old friend of mine, Bob Flounders <laughs> is here. God, we love having Bob on the pod. Mm-hmm. I was on Bob's pod, Bob's on our pod. We did a crossover pod last year where sure. we're all together. We're just one big happy family. That's right. We, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, in common stuff between Ohio State, Penn State, us knowing each other before we actually became Ohio State and Penn State beat writers. Um, the fact that it's the Penn State fan base can't get enough of Ohio State, whatever's going on there. And I'm sure Ohio State's at least a little bit curious. So I know they're more curious about, say, Michigan, but they're a little curious about uh, James Franklin and Penn State. So it's always good to talk about both programs. So let's be completely honest. Listen, we're all in vacation time. We are yeah. recording this on June, on June 9th. It is not running on June 9th. So if anything changes between what we talk about and later, uh, I'll put a little addendum at the front of this. But there's a couple of things I want to talk about basics. And, and let's start here because I had a conversation with Gene Smith a couple of weeks ago, Ohio yeah. State Athletic Director, Bob. And we were talking yeah, about the NIL conversation. Yeah. Well, that conversation and another conversation. Oh. That was a, there is NIL stuff we're going to talk about, yeah. but it was about if the Big Ten does away with divisions. A, yeah. a lot of people think that's going to happen. Do you have rivalry games? What do you do? And Gene Smith did say, listen, Ohio State and Michigan have to play every year. Um, Purdue and Indiana have to play every year. There are Illinois and Northwestern have to play every year. There are some rivalries in the Big Ten that you got to do every year, no matter what. But Gene Smith did say he would be very interested in protecting Ohio State, Penn State. He thinks that that rivalry has risen to that level. Yeah. It sort of has become like a Halloween weekend game. I wouldn't actually mind like locking it in there. Yeah. That Ohio State, Penn State is the last game of the regular season in late November. And Ohio State, Ohio State, Michigan is late November. Ohio State, Penn State's late October. Let's lock that in and make it official. I don't know where stuff's headed as we sit here now, Bob, with divisions, no divisions. But would you think... Ohio State, Penn State should be an every year rivalry if and when the Big Ten does away with divisions. 100%. I think even though Ohio State typically comes out on top, it's the measuring stick for Penn State's program. It's the measuring stick for the Penn State fan base. It is the game every year that the Penn State fan base looks forward to the most. I mean, Ohio State, Michigan is where is at the very top of the food chain in the Big Ten. But, you know, Penn State really doesn't have a true rival uh, that it works both ways. I mean, for Ohio State, it's Michigan. Penn State would probably say Ohio State's the game, but, I mean, Ohio State loves to play with Penn State, but it's not, it's, it, it does not get priority over 
over that school, that school up north. So I think that game has to be protected. And I think it makes sense. It makes sense for a lot of reasons. I think the winner of that game, I think really, really positions themselves very nicely for a very nice season, possible, you know, a big 10 championship and, and, and a spot in the big 10 playoff. And if the loser of that game, it's a good game. It really doesn't hurt them that much. I mean, if we're going to talk about an expanded playoff or we're going to talk about a New Year's Six Bowl, there's no shame in it if the loser of the Penn State-Ohio State game, and I'm pretty much talking about Penn State, if it's a one-score game or it's a 10-point game or it's a game in the fourth quarter, it's it's almost a feather in the cap. So I think the Big Ten, if they're going to change, and I think they're, they're, they're definitely going to change and make and make it the two best teams in the Big Ten are going to be in the Big Ten title game, not necessarily uh, the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West. But if they're going to change, I think they got to protect the game. So it gets a little dicey because if you want to have the two best teams, because what you're really, what you're going to have is the teams with the two best records, which is not always the same as the two best teams. Right. So if you say, hey, we're going to protect all the games where all the best teams play each other every year then they're going to start knocking each other off. And then at some point it's like, well, then what are you doing? Like, what's the, what's the point of all this? I do, however, think it would make sense when you think about the four big boys in the East as it stands now. Yeah. If you were in a world where you protected two rivalries for everybody and Michigan had Ohio state, Michigan state, Ohio state had Michigan and Penn state, Penn state had Ohio state and Michigan state with that land grant trophy. And then <laughs> Michigan state had Michigan and Penn state. And yeah. those are the two. That's enough. They can't protect all three for everybody. You can't say, hey, let's take the four best programs in the East and make sure they all play the three of each other every year. And then Rutgers can play Maryland and Indiana and Northwestern every year. And it's like, well, then Rutgers is going to make the Big Ten championship game. (laughs) So there's a limit to how much you can do it. But I do think protecting those two that Penn State and Ohio State are protected there was a world where I was dabbling with like, you just protect one for everybody. And then like, it's sorry, Ohio. And then maybe you protect Michigan state, Penn state as your one, but I do think two works. I'm glad you also think it's important enough. You agree with Gene Smith. 100%. This NIL thing just happened. This conversation is now being heard by people a couple of weeks later. Yeah. But as we record this, this is the day after James Franklin talked about NIL, which was the week after Ryan day talked about NIL. James Franklin, was he at a camp or something? It was like he was out, out of doors and there were reporters around him. It wasn't like an, an official. What was the so thing? It, it was just a, it was a media availability um, that they scheduled just for June. Real, I think it was really, they wanted to make him available one more time, I think before Big Ten Media Days. And this was probably the only time on his calendar they could do it. They made the other coaches available, but I think I, didn't, I was not able to go up. We were up there. Um, but I knew after what I read about Ryan Day and the uh, and the NIL and the 13 million number, if I remember it correctly, I knew I know I knew that James was dying to be asked a question about that, even though I don't think he referenced Ohio State. I don't know who he thinks he, he thinks he's kidding, but um, he said school X. Yeah, I mean, he does that all the time. Previous institution when when he you know he only I don't think he has mentioned Vander, he hasn't mentioned Vanderbilt by name since he got to Penn State, but he's very very he's very very uh, set in stone about that. Anyway, I knew he was going to be dying to talk about it, and I think that um, first of all, before I get into what he said, 
that number, um, that number that Ryan mentioned, I think Gene Smith was there too. I think you might've been the only outlet that was there. Or you were one of the very few. I was the only did that, one. Did that number, very, very nice on your end, by the way. Thanks. Was that, did, did that number surprise you? Did you think it would be bigger? And do you think that was just kind of a starting point for NIL moving forward? It's, it, it's this number now, but it's always an arms race when it, we come to trying to keep up with the best, the, the best schools in the country, not regardless of the Big Ten. That's just a starting point, I think, for Ohio State, isn't it? I do think it's a number in Ryan Day's mind that was about being competitive, not yes. spending the most. This year. This year. And I do think that it almost makes sense to me that a place like Ohio State might have to spend less because they do still they can offer the things they're already offering, which is a chance to chase titles, uh, a chance to develop into an NFL player. But if you're trying to catch Ohio State or pursue <laughs> Ohio State, you might have to go more. Right, that the people on top don't have to necessarily spend the most, but they have to spend something, which was Ryan Day's point. So I don't think if you saw that number 13 million and thought, wow, that's the max, it's like, no, that's in the range. Yeah. So, and James Franklin's point seemed to be, hey, if that's their number, then that's our number, or our number is even higher. And all of that made sense to me. It does. There's a couple, there's a couple, I mean, he is, he is. He is bound and determined to try and keep pace with Ohio State. I would argue that he has fallen. I think the gap's widened uh, in the last few years. I don't think there's any question um, when you look at um, what's played out uh, on the field and how they've recruited. It's one thing to recruit well, which you could say Penn State's recruited well. It's another thing to recruit like Ohio State. It's another thing to own the transfer portal like Ohio State. So the gap is definitely widened. And I guess my question is, if you're if you're a booster or you're a friend of the program and you're in Pennsylvania, are you prepared? Are you prepared to do what's necessary in James Franklin's mind to try and keep pace with a program like Ohio State when Penn State really has struggled since the end of the 2019 season? So I, I just I I can see both sides of it, Doug, but I don't know if it's realistic for for Penn State to be able to. A outspend, uh, outspend Ohio State on a yearly basis when it comes to NIL. I would say even to keep pace with Ohio State. I think it's going to be very tough. It's a tough sell, and I think I just I just think that he's got it moved in the right direction. But until he can show that they they're they're, they're competitive, I don't know that a lot of people are going to buy in. That need to buy in. Let me let me paint a scenario for you here, Bob <laughs> Flounders. Yeah. Let's say that NIL was rolling in 2020. Yeah. When Julian Fleming was the number one receiver recruit in the country. Yeah. And Brian Hartline, the Ohio State receivers coach, comes to central Pennsylvania and tells Julian Fleming, we're going to develop you. We're going to get you to the NFL. We love your game. Let's go. Come be a Buckeye. And Mm -hmm. Penn State says, Julian, we're right down the road. We're in your backyard. You'll come. You'll play quicker here. You'll be a legend. Also, there'll be $1.2 million waiting for you because we you're a Penn, Pennsylvania guy. It People already know you and love you. And Ohio State, it's not that they can't, but they might say, well, you know, if we don't get you, we'll try this guy from Washington or Texas or Florida yeah. or Georgia. And we're just, that's not what we're doing with you right now. Mm-hmm. But Pennsylvania, Penn State says, 
you're our, you are our number one guy. Your value here is immediate and greater. And when we tell our people, hey, you got to be as collective together, this is where it's worth your money. Do you think it's possible that in a scenario like that, Penn State wins the recruiting battle for Julian Fleming in an NIL world when they did not win it in a non-NIL world? Yeah, higher priority. Uh, and and the, the pros, cons were probably fairly close. You made a fairly, you made a pretty good argument for Penn State. I'm sure it's the argument that James Franklin made. And the, the selling point would be that yes, we you're you're gonna we're gonna we're gonna build our the next three years of our offense around you. Ohio State can't make that can't make that. Ohio State also recruits, I th- I would say nationally, but yeah, I think they he probably does end up at Penn State. But what my question is, what happens when you do that and the kid A does not develop and B, you know, I, I would imagine he would have started at Penn State almost immediately if he was healthy. But what would he what would he look like? You, I know that we've talked previously and you still think there's a world in which he becomes one of the better receivers in the Big Ten, even though he might be the second or third option in this passing game this year. Because you look at the you look at last year's Ohio State offense and they had three first round talents at wideout, and the, the other kid went to Alabama and he, he was sticking before uh, all of them. So I think I think. I think you're right. I think that's one way that, that James could could get his top priority. But what it, what about the depth of the class? Like what like what? Well, I think Ohio Ohio State looks at it a little bit differently than Penn State. Ohio State, if you're talking about thirteen million dollars, they can probably make about twenty or thirty kids probably happy that are really really good players. I, I don't know that Penn State can can do that and convince that many high four or five-star players to come to Penn state because they don't have the development uh, edge and they don't have the, we're playing for the national championship or we're in the playoff edge every year that Ohio state does. Yeah, no, I do think, I think the schools that are already on top, it's more about distributing the money. You earn your value. I think Ryan day is more interested in having NIL deals set up for established players than he is for, paying recruits off the bat. But I do think if you're a school that's trying to get over the top and win a recruiting battle, then maybe a place like Penn State was you have your priority or two every year and you say, we're going to really invest there. And that's how we beat Ohio State or Bama or somebody like that for this particular kid. And then we bank on those guys being difference makers. You know, what if Chase Young is coming down the pike and he's from Maryland and hey, Penn State, they're not so... And then you go all in, right? Maybe, maybe Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson won't go all in for yes. quite as many guys because they have a broader range of guys that are interested in them and yeah. that are elite guys. Yeah. And then if you're Tennessee or Penn State or Texas A&M or somewhere where you're good, but you're not in the top tier, you say, okay, we got to win this battle. Yeah. Let's invest. And then it has to hit. Yeah, that's going to say, just don't miss on that kid. If you go, if you push all your chips into the table and the kid – is a five-star talent that pay, plays like a high three-star or just doesn't not, is not a difference maker. Like Doug, I'm sure there's been some five-star players at Ohio state in the last five years that because of the talent base at Ohio state, just never played anywhere near to what the expectation was. And it's a, it's a disappointment and a surprise, but they have, they have plan B, they have plan one, a, they have plan two B, they have plan their third, their third option might turn out to be the better player. 
And, and that, that's the difference between a team like Ohio State or a program like Ohio State and a program like Penn State. They have to pick and choose their spots, I think, uh, when it comes to the NIL, if you really want to get a player that the other schools are interested in, whereas the other schools, um, they, they have more of a selling point advantage because of what they've accomplished the last five, six, seven, ten years. All right. That's, there's, a, there's a Penn State question I want to ask that's not related to Ohio State. So Penn State, as you said, James Franklin, listen, man, they're not that many years removed from back-to-back one-point losses to Ohio State in 17 and 18. When they were right there, 16 Penn State wins, 17 and 18, they're ahead, and Ohio State stages crazy fourth-quarter comebacks and wins by a point. That was the world that Penn State was living in. Ohio State's better right now. James Franklin sees that. We want to compete. That's who we want to be. But when Penn State looks at what Michigan did last year, does Penn State, how does Penn State view Michigan? Does Penn State think we should be equal to Michigan? Does Penn State say, well, there's a, maybe a thing or two that Michigan has an edge on us, and so, like, that's a goal? Or does Penn State think, like, no, we are the second-best program in the Big Ten. There is zero reason for Michigan or Wisconsin or Iowa or Michigan State to be better than us. Penn state should be the number two program in the big 10. What is the, what is the closest way to how Penn state and its fans views the Nittany Lions? I think the fan base is smart enough to know that Penn state and Michigan, um, when you throw out the COVID year, the team that's at home should is, is expected to win that game. Okay. Penn state, Penn state goes to Michigan during the Franklin regime and, and you throw out the COVID year and he's really – they've been blown out. They've been blown out of the gym twice. They were blown out in 2016, 49 to 10. They were blown out in 2018, Trace McSorley's last year. I think it was it was 42-7, and Penn State scored with a minute to go, or they would have got shut out. Throughout the COVID year, I think the fan base, I, even Franklin, that is a 50-50 game that goes to the home field advantage. But the rest of the Big Ten – the expectation, I think, from Penn State's coaching staff, players, and fans, and alumni is Penn State should be better than the other 11, I guess it's 11 programs in the Big Ten. I think that is the pecking order, but I, I do think that Penn State has not shown enough against Michigan during the Harbaugh era that, that the expectation is every year they play, home or away, Penn State should win the game. Because Michigan can recruit well, too. Yeah. Would no divisions breathe life into Penn State a little bit? That it just means you can get to Indianapolis without having to beat Ohio State? Yeah. You can get to Indianapolis and play Ohio State? Huge selling point, I think, for James Franklin and Penn State. I think Penn State very much wants that. I mean, he can point to – he can go to recruits and say, look, you know, it, we, we won a Big Ten we, – we've only won one Big Ten championship. But you could, you could make the argument in the, under the new alignment we would have played in two or three or maybe even four big 10 championship games. That's the national stage. That's a chance to get to the playoff, which is what you want. And they, they can also say, if you actually, if you do look at Penn state's last couple of NFL draft classes, um, they put the last three classes, they put a lot of players into the league. A lot of guys that are playing in the league that are, are difference making players. So I think if they do that and they kind of just say, Hey, it's going to be our interpretation of the two best teams in the big 10 championship every year. I think Penn State would absolutely be all in on that because even in the years that Penn State can't beat Ohio State, more often than not, they've given them a hell of a game, um, and that might be good enough 
with a with a representative record to, for the, for everyone who's doing the evaluating to say, hey, this team gave Ohio State all it wanted. They they are the second best team, and that would be the most competitive, the most competitive Big Ten title game. I would say too, when you think about teams that maybe would have a chance against Ohio State on a fast indoor field. You yeah. know, a lot of times the way it is now, the West, it's like Ohio State gets there and they play Wisconsin well, or if they played yeah. Iowa, even Michigan. I mean, they're running teams. But you know what? You get Jahan Dotson, you get KJ Hamlin, you get Chris Godwin. Ohio State, excuse me, Penn State has thrown it, has had some, they have skill, dude. You get Saquon Barkley on a fast turf and tell him to go. They've had skill guys before that I think it's possible of all the Big Ten teams that would have a chance indoors against Ohio State. Penn State would stack up as well as anybody. There's only so many ways uh, an Iowa, a, a good Iowa or a good Wisconsin team can, can hang with can hang with a team like Ohio State, and that is they 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 got to get they got to win the turnover battle. They got to get a lead, but they're they just they're they're not built really to score. They're 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 built to score about 17 points against Ohio State, maybe 20. Penn State even last year they moved the ball on Ohio State. I know it wasn't a great Ohio State. Um, it wasn't a great Ohio State defense. It was really a pretty even game. There was a defensive touchdown right before half, I think, that really turned it in Ohio State's favor. Ohio State was clearly the better team. But I, Michigan, I think last year it was a perfect storm. Uh, they matched up much better against Ohio State because Ohio, Ohio State had defensive woes. And Michigan was so tired of heat. And they had the number one player, the best player in the country on defense. But they had the right formula to really – to really hang with Ohio State, and once they got a lead, I mean, it was it was one of those games where the, I think that Ohio State was never going to win that game last year uh, with with the way that things were going into it. Now this year, I would not want to be Michigan going into Columbus after what happened last year, and then they talked a bunch of smack after the game. But that was the year that was that was the perfect storm for Michigan. I don't know if they're going to be able to replicate it anytime soon, but they got that win just like Penn State got that win in 2016. Beating Ohio State, if you're a good team, it's an achievement. Good luck trying to beat them two out of three years or two years in a row because they just have more talent and they're going to be more motivated. I would say that when Penn State got to Indy, they were trailing by 14 at the half, and then they scored 28 second pass half or yeah. 24 second half points behind Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley and beat Wisconsin 38-31. So, like, that's what it would look like. It's like, oh, what would Penn State and Indy look like? Like that. Yeah. At its best, it would look like that. It, I, I guarantee you that behind the scenes, James Franklin and probably the new AD are lobbying for the Big Ten to, hey, let's get everyone. It, it, you know, it's, it's already been agreed upon. The NCAA doesn't care. Other conferences have already done it. Why not just have the two best teams in any? That would certainly help us in recruiting. It, it would ignite the fan base. It would give us something to look forward to. Even if we lose, we lose again narrowly to Ohio State in season. We get another crack at them. You mentioned the new AD, Patrick Kraft, officially takes over on July 1st, replacing Sandy Barber. Do you expect anything significantly changes for the football program or the way the football program does business? James Franklin, is 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 there this a, is this a seismic move in the Penn State Athletic Department, or is it just that's a new AD? I think it's going to be fascinating to watch how Patrick Kraft goes about building his relationship with James Franklin. Cause I always got the point Sandy Barber and James Franklin were came, came in the same year. They were hired months apart. James came in, I think in January and she came in early summer that year. 
And I, I just always thought as they were, uh, Penn State was kind of significantly, they were still dealing with sanctions and all that stuff. I think Sandy, Sandy was always James Franklin's biggest uh, proponent. And I think mm. biggest backer there, even in 2016, when they got off to that slow start and got dusted by Michigan, I mean, she was always all in on James. Um, but I, I do think though that, you know, Patrick Kraft didn't hire James Franklin uh, you know, he might have, he might have his own ideas. This team is 11 and 11 the last two years. They've, they've got, uh, you know, they put a lot of people in the NFL during that time. It's, it's, it's fair to wonder if, if there's another year this year, like last year, well, is, are they, are they, are those two going to be as tight as James and Sandy? I think that, I think the clock is ticking. I think James really needs a bounce back year. His, his big go-to response is you know, 2020 was a COVID year. Last year we had the, we had the injury. We we're five and zero. Oh. I thought we were playing well. That's not who we've been. But if you look, Doug, he's this is his ninth year. If you look at his eight years, he's had four really really good years. He and he stacked them right: 2016, 17, 18, and 19. You look at the other four years; they've been largely right around 500. So what which is the real? which is the real Penn State team and which is the real James Franklin offense, which is the real James Franklin in-game coaching style. Um, you know, what, what's it going to be? Because if they have another year like the last two or something close, I think it's fair to wonder maybe this, maybe this isn't how they've been. Maybe how they've been is the last couple of years. And I think if you're Patrick Kraft, you're going you're gonna to support James, but I think you're going to take a hard look at how James handles this year. How does the contract extension and raise affect anything with James Franklin? Does that, does it really lock him in or is it that the buyout's not that bad? There's a lot of wiggle room in there and that we should not drastically change our view of James Franklin standing in state colleges. Cause he got a, a deal. The buyout, I think it's front loaded. So I think, I think, uh, you know, the next couple of years, it's, it's something that they're going to, if they, if they would ever get to that point, it, it would, there would be some, there would, there would be some deep rest for, for the buyout to, to, for that to, to uh, go into effect, but they have some donors that are awfully, awfully, awfully interested in the football program. And they are awfully, awfully wealthy. Terry Pagula, the owner of the bills is a Penn state grad. He basically funded the Penn state uh, ice hockey team. Uh, Ira Lubert uh, is, is one of the wealthiest people in Pennsylvania big fan of the Penn state wrestling program. So he's got who he wants in Kale Sanderson, but he also, he also is one of those guys that wouldn't be afraid. I think if, if, if they deemed it necessary and, and Kraft deemed it necessary to, to open up the checkbooks to, to handle the buyout, I think they would do it. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but the buyout I think is only a slight issue uh, in the short term, but the longer he's here, I think the less of an issue it, it would be in my estimation. And I think, I think this year is, is a big year for James, because like I said before, you know, I don't think I don't, we're getting further and further away from that 2019 season. We're getting further and further away from that nice run in 2016 and 17 uh, when they were re- legitimately maybe one of the top five teams in the country at the end of the year, they really haven't been like that. He's got to get more points. The offense of the offense has come, has to come to life. And they've lost a ton of talented players on defense. And I think there's a lot of question marks with that schedule. 
this is what all sports writers do. You just look at stuff and you say, oh, I'm going to connect the dots on that. So I actually think this is Patrick Kraft had Jeff Halfley as his head coach at Boston College. He didn't hire Jeff Halfley. The previous AD hired Jeff Halfley. Jeff Halfley is from New Jersey. I think if he has a dream job in college coaching, it's probably Penn State. I think mm-hmm. he's interested in, in being in the Northeast. He's 43 years old. Yeah. He's worked at Pitt. He's worked at Rutgers. He's worked at Ohio State. He's worked at everywhere around Penn State. And if anything gets a little sideways with James Franklin, I think everybody in the world is going to start talking about that. I don't know how real it is. Again, it's not like he's necessarily yeah. Patrick Kraft's guy, but they know each other. So mm-hmm. um, let me give you another name before you I move don't know. on. Matt Rule. Yeah. That's the one. That would be the name I would be, I think, at the top of the shopping list. Uh, he's in a very tenuous position, I think, at Carolina, but he certainly worked wonders at Temple, beat up Penn State when he was at Temple, turned around Baylor. He certainly knows what, what's, what to do uh, in the college football world, and there are some, there are some serious Penn, Penn State ties with Matt Rule. Uh, so I, w- I would say uh, you make a good case for, for, for Kraft's guy, but I think Matt Rule is another guy that Penn State uh, and and the fan base and the boosters uh, and the prominent alumni would also not mind possibly being the Penn State coach in the future if things don't work out. So anyway, good luck to James Franklin this year. Yeah. That's <laughs> these segment. are just scenarios. These are this is what we do in early June, right? This, these are just scenarios. James is a smart guy. I think James knows where he sits in the world. He's getting paid awfully well, so I, I, I you know he's certainly got some talent, but he's got some inexperienced talent. And it's not they, – they are not – no matter what they say, no one in the Big Ten can reload like Ohio State. It, it's everyone else who thinks they can uh, is kidding themselves because I've never seen a program have lose a fleet of talented players and then really not bat an eye uh, the next year. And if they need – if there's a missing five-star piece they need, they just got to open up the transfer portal and, and they're going to come running to uh, Columbus. All right, when we come back on Buckeye Talk, we will get on the field. We'll start off first with the defense. We'll do that next after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Doug Maurice and Bob Flounders. Make sure you guys, you guys read Penn Live, right? You guys listen to this if you care about Penn State. <laughs> if you care about Ohio State, you should care about Penn State yeah. because they're very intertwined. Uh, PennLive.com is where you want to go to get all your best Penn State information. And it's uh, the Blue White Podcast, right? The Blue White Podcast. Blue White Breakdown. Blue White, Blue White Breakdown. Breakdown. Myself Breakdown. and Dave Jones, uh, if he's not in an NBA Finals mood, 
will be uh, talking about Penn State football all summer. He's had some good guests on. It's, it's fun doing it with Dave because you never know what he's going to want to talk about. But uh, yeah, Blue White Breakdown is the Penn State, Penn Live Penn State football uh, podcast. All right, let's talk defense. This defense last year, it's, it's a shame yeah. because the offense kind of wasted the defense a little bit because between Jaquan Brisker, who was outside of Kyle Hamilton, as good as any safety in the country last year. Arnold Abikati was a great story. A lot of good edge rushers in the Big Ten last year, but he gave Ohio State as many problems as anybody outside of Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojaba. That guy was for real. We saw all the problems that Ohio State had at linebacker last year. Penn State had three real dudes at linebacker last year, and two of them are gone now. Mm -hmm. That was a legit Big Ten defense last year, and they didn't get much bang for the buck out of it, Bob. The way the season yeah. went, how how with the guys they lost, I still love Joey Porter. Mm-hmm. He's back at corner, big physical corner. Yeah, how close to that really good defense a year ago can this defense be in twenty twenty two? Boy, I have a hard time seeing them. You, you said it right. It, it was it was a it was a, it was a crime. Uh, what they did to that defense last year, that defense, that was that, that defense in the 2019 defense that had Micah and uh, Etor Gross Matos a little bit, uh, a little bit of, I think it was Jason Oway was just starting to figure it out. Those are his two best defenses by far. Um, And to lose good players at every level um, really, really, it's going to be, it's going to be tough. New defensive coordinator that might throw some offenses off. He's a little bit, I think more unpredictable, uh, than Brent Pry, who was, I don't want to say, I, I mean, I don't want to say it was easy to figure out when Brent Pry was going to blitz or what he was going to do, but this guy, Manny Diaz has produced some really good defenses elsewhere. Um, but it's, it's going to be hard. It just is. You're right about Joey Porter. He is, he's, he has got, he has got first round NFL talent. Um, and I think if he has a solid year, I think, I, I think it would be crazy for, for somebody to uh, somebody at some point in the first round to not want to take a chance on somebody who's 6'2", 205. He's got length. He can run. Just just a great player. Curtis Jacobs, that outside linebacker, is a, is a really, really good linebacker. But, you know, and, and they do they have a good safety in Jair Brown. I should, I should mention him. Uh, he had, like, I think he had six interceptions last year. But there's, there's difference-making positions on defense, right? And it's great to have a linebacker like Curtis Jacobs, but I don't know, you know, I don't know unless you have one or two guys up front who can turn the game or can end a possession with one play, you're going to, you're going to struggle against the Ohio States of the world. And when you look at Penn state's defensive line, I think that's where the biggest question questions are because I, I don't, they don't have any proven disruptive guys up front their best player is 320 pounds he plays inside pj mustafer and he's coming off a really significant knee injury and i i don't know he franklin said you know uh this this we're talking on a wednesday in early june he said on a tuesday he said the day before we did this that he expects him to be 100 percent for the purdue game but that doesn't mean he will play like he did right before he got hurt it's going to take him a lot a little while to kind of get up to speed, uh, contact, all that stuff, because they've held him out of everything. So I think the front four is where is where is where Penn State, if you're gonna, if you're gonna be able to slow 
Ohio State. Michigan did it with their front four. The 2016 game that Penn State won, that front four played the game of its life with Garrett Sickles off the edge, a kid named Kevin Givens and some other guys inside. And I just don't know. I don't know where Penn State's going to be on their front four, you know, a month or six weeks into the season. I think they're good in the secondary. I think they can make it work when you consider everyone plays in nickel defense anyway. So they really only need to find a, another linebacker to pair with Curtis Jacobs. But I just don't know about that defensive line rotation. They, they're missing some really, re- I didn't even mention Jesse Lucetta, who had a good year last year for Penn State. They're missing some really, really good players. And it's tough, like I said, to reload like Ohio State does. Mike McDonald at Michigan last year made an instant impact as a first-year defensive coordinator. Yeah. When Manny Diaz got on the market, because Manny Diaz kind of got kind of got the shaft a little bit at Miami. He had been the head coach there for three years. He's my, you know, was a good hire, I thought, by them. He had been hired as the Temple head coach, was there for three weeks, and then Miami was like, no, 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 come back, come back. And he came back and took over for Mark Richt. He'd been the defensive coordinator there. And then Miami just fell in love with Mario Cristobal and reinvigorating, getting back to being the U, bring back the swag, Mario Cristobal, huge roots there. And it wasn't that Manny Diaz was bad. They just wanted Mario Cristobal. Manny Diaz, six and seven, eight and three, seven and five. Yeah. So I thought, it's kind of a weird situation for him. I, I think he will he will be a head coach again someday. So Ohio State hired Jim Knowles on, I think it was December 7th. Penn State hired Manny Diaz on December 11th. When Ohio State was bidding for Jim Knowles and Oklahoma State was trying to keep him, and you're sitting around saying, well, if, don't, if Ohio State doesn't get Jim Knowles, what are they going to do? It's like Manny Diaz was on my list. I, I'm sure he was on Ryan Day's list. Yeah. And it feels like potentially – like a really good hire for Penn State because he's good enough. He was good enough as a defensive coordinator. He had a tough run at Texas where he got fired by Mac Brown, but Mac Brown was falling apart. Mac Brown was looking to blame people for everything. This guy's been at Mississippi State, been at Miami. He's a real dude. Could this? He can't. You got you need talent. It's Jimmy's and Joe's, not X's and O's. But could this be a like a a really? Bit like Jim Knowles is supposed to come save Ohio State. Mike McDonald came and saved Michigan last year. Yeah. Can Manny Diaz have potentially a gigantic impact as Penn State's defensive coordinator? Yes. Yeah, he can. He definitely can. His best defenses at Miami were probably when he was the DC, right? Under Mark Rick. They were very disruptive. Playing they played in the backfield a lot. They got a lot of turnovers. That's something that James Franklin, I think, has wanted at Penn State. As much as he can claim that he and Brent Pry were buddies. Penn State wasn't a defense that would turn you over a lot. And, you know, they had some freaks that could rush the passer. But, uh, you know, there's there's different ways to be disruptive in the backfield. It's not always when it's an obvious passing situation. You can you can dis- you can you can be disruptive inside with blitzes, well-timed blitzes. Uh, you can be disruptive with the stunts you're going to run up front. Uh, I think Manny Diaz is going to get the most whatever whatever Penn State's defensive linemen have. I think Manny Diaz will see that and try and get that out of them. And I think the way that he coaches, I think he's an aggressive play caller when it comes to dialing up the blitz. I think all that stuff will help, but ultimately you're right. You got it. You still got to have the athletes. I think Penn state likes the, uh, a lot of the guys they have up front, but they haven't done it yet. And there's no guarantee that they will, but in terms of scheme and in terms of what I think Manny uh, wants to do. I think James Franklin wants to see a defense that is going to be more disruptive and that's going to get more 
turnovers. They certainly have the secondary, I think. When you look at Jair Brown at safety and you look at Joey at the corner, I think they – Kalen King is another player I should mention. He's a second-year corner they really like. They certainly have the athletes in the back end to catch the interceptions and to be in the right place. I, my only question is, can Manny consistently pressure uh, the good offenses and the good quarterbacks – to get them off the field. And he just might be able to be a lot better at that than Brent Pry was. And I will say, if you're looking for a formula to try to slow down Ohio State, we've done Wisconsin, we've done Michigan State, we've done Iowa on this schedule breakdown. And sometimes you talk about, hey, you're a good Big Ten defense, whatever. And it's like, but can you stop Ohio State's passing game? It's like a conversation with Wisconsin. It's like, well, you might be good at what you do, but what you do doesn't actually work against Ohio State. If you're trying to stop Ohio State and you tell me, what do you got? Well, we got a couple dudes in the secondary. I'd put up Joey Porter. You can put Joey Porter on yeah. a first-round receiver and take your chances. We've got some dudes in the secondary, and then we've got an aggressive defensive coordinator who's going to try to scheme it up yeah. and try to confuse C.J. Stride a little bit, try to disguise some blitzes, run some pressure packages that they're not expecting, and take some chances to be disruptive. Yeah. That's not a bad start. It's not a guarantee it's going to work. But if you if you're going to if anyone in the Big Ten is going to try it, yeah. I think those are the components you need. Yeah. Plus, the game will be will it will be on the road. Uh, noise will be a factor. The other thing is, by the time Ohio State comes to Beaver Stadium, Manny Diaz is going to have a much better idea about what he has up front and in the linebacker room. He'll have seen them for almost two months. I think they play on the 29th. Um, had they had had, you know, you could say, well, you know, if they play on if they play September 1st and it's at Penn State, Penn State might have an advantage because Ohio State won't, won't know what to expect, I think, from 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 Penn State and Manny Diaz. I still think Ohio State would have a much bigger advantage because of the talent they have on offense, the quarterback they have. And Manny doesn't know enough about what he can do with his defensive guys in the front seven. So I think there, you could certainly make a case that between the secondary, they have the aggressive nature of Manny Diaz, the fact it will be two thirds of the way into the season. And Manny is going to know his players much better. I think it will be, uh, it's going to be an intriguing matchup. And I think, I think that this Penn state defense, if they can figure some things out on the front seven, can give Ohio State a lot to think about on the road. October 29th, Halloween weekend. Yeah. Of that weekend, let's lock it in. Let's make it official. And let's have everybody dress up in their Halloween costumes and come to the game and try to both sides. You, hey, it's Ohio State, Penn State. What do you do? You wear your Halloween costume and yeah. not like a, not like a cute one, right? No, uh, I don't dress up like a Stranger Things kid or whatever. Scary, scary. <laughs> In theory, that's going to work, but it's Penn State's stripe-out game where it's going to be alternate white, blue, white, blue. And, oh. Doug, I, I think you know this, but this game is probably going to be at noon. You know that, right? White, scary. White, scary. White, scary. <laughs> so right. that has been announced, and Ohio State fans did take great note of that, that Penn State has the whiteout every year. It certainly has been Ohio State in the past. The whole stadium's white. It's at night. They announced that as Minnesota. Yeah. And so this game time has not yet been set, but you're gonna you're telling me it's gonna be stripy and in the afternoon. Like why why is that? Were you surprised when the Penn State announced Minnesota as the whiteout? Well, I think the assumption is that Fox is gonna have the choice for that game. And if it is Fox, what do we know? They like they like their marquee games in the 12 o'clock slot. And I think they also it will also be uh, playoff baseball, if I'm not mistaken. And that that's a Fox thing as well. 
So if you put those two together and the fact that Penn State did not make uh, did not make uh, Ohio State the uh, the uh, this, the uh, whiteout game, uh, I think it all all arrows are pointing to this game being it's going to be a day game. And I think it's probably going to be a noon game if Fox has its say. And that's going to be weird because I'm trying I was trying to think of the last time. Penn State and Ohio State have played, if, if they would be, I'm trying to think of the last time Penn State and Ohio State have played at noon at Beaver Stadium. It's been a while. So what I think probably happened, and I think people kind of know how this works, the way the current TV contract is, it's split between Fox and ESPN, and they go back and forth picking. You actually pick your weekend, and then you say, well, that weekend we won our number one pick of the game. So Fox yeah. has the first pick, and Fox always takes Ohio State, Michigan. A lot of years, the second best game is Ohio State, Penn State. So then ESPN or ESPN ABC takes Ohio State, Penn State, which and then they put it at night and it's a primetime game. However, this year, Ohio State's playing Notre Dame and that is on ABC. And I think ABC, Uh, ESPN, with their second pick, picked Ohio State, Notre Dame, which then makes Ohio State, Penn State the third pick and it's back to Fox. And it's going to be big noon on Fox as a result. I think that's what changed this year. Yeah, yeah. You better get up early, Dougie, if you're gonna if you're gonna make that drive. I know you I'm, like to drive in. You got to get up early. I'm sli- I'm sli- I'm sleeping at your place. I'll okay, be at your place. that's fine. Yeah, if you place. want, we can reenact the Zembies night from what was it, 1995? <laughs> that was really 1995. Uh, oh, those were the days. So, uh, so I do think that might be. And then, like in 2023, that won't happen because Ohio State's at Notre Dame. That'll be an NBC game. And then all of a sudden, well, then that game will be at Ohio State. Anyway, I do think that's why it's going to be a little bit weird. But that that is a big deal. Do you think, Bob, that the home field advantage? I I have long said that I don't think the home field advantage in, right. in Ohio Stadium is as great as some people think it is because you run through the list of games that Ohio State's lost over the years, it's and they good. lose they lose at home all the time. <laughs> Virginia Tech, they won at Virginia Tech. They lost at home. Yeah. Um, Michigan State okay. came in at 15, right? Yeah. They lose that game at home. Yeah. A, a game they can't lose at home to Michigan State. Oklahoma, they play a home and home. They win at Oklahoma. They lose at home to Oklahoma. So it's like they they lose to Oregon yeah. at home, right? So the, the Penn State home field advantage, do you think it's significantly greater when it's a night game and when it's a whiteout, or do you think it's a, it's a good home field advantage against a team like Ohio state, no matter what, what, what time or whether you're striped or white. I think what Penn state has working in its favor is whether it's home or away and it's Ohio state, Penn state has such a chip on its shoulder when it comes to Ohio state. Um, It is the game that matters most to them. So they're always going to be highly motivated and very much, thinking about that game year round, Ohio state does not think about Penn state year round. I, and I do think the crowd also feels that same way. So if you can get 110,000 like-minded Penn state fans that are worked up into a frenzy and the team is worked up into a frenzy, it can be really hard if you don't play a clean game and you're the other team, because the minute, the minute Penn state has any success in that game, it's just like a, it's like the old snowball rolling downhill, Doug. I think I do think that the, the Penn State Beaver Stadium home field advantage against Ohio State and Michigan is more. I think it's probably more significant than either the home field advantage because I guess you know Ann Arbor, the crowd's a little bit away further away from the stadium, and it's a little bit of a different look. And and you're right. I, I just think that Ohio State. I don't know. They play so many big games every year. 
I, I think there's just only so many games you can really get worked up to. And I think that probably works against Ohio State, where that there's one time or they're going to play enough good teams usually in a year with their non-conference schedule. There's going to be one game that either the crowd or the team looks past and it, it could bite them in the backside. All right. You know, the, the, the Beaver Stadium experience, you've been in that stadium. That it, it is, it, I don't think it can get much louder than it can at Penn State when Ohio State's visiting at night. Those, plus, they've had like 12 hours to tailgate. So they're all just out of their minds. And the, you know, the visiting team comes out from under the stands like that, and the stands yeah. are shaking. You feel like gladiators going into the Coliseum yeah. to get fed to a lion. It's a nitty lion. And then the, <laughs> it's the lions roaring, and you're, the bleachers are shaking. It's quite a thing. Um, okay, offense Yeah. after this on Buckeye Talk. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we want to talk skill, guys, because that's fun. But, Bob, you and I have talked about this enough because you were on the College Football Survivor Show wrapping up. Penn State spring football with me. The offensive line, right? The Penn State couldn't run it last year. Yes, the backs were part of that, but like Noah Kane transfers and LSU's like, we'll take Noah Kane. So it's like, okay, they did have a couple back. It was it was more the offensive line last year. And are they gonna be able to run it this year? Is the offensive line gonna be better? You know what? I would say if you're gonna if you're gonna make the list of reasons why they averaged 3.2 yards per carry last season and really got nowhere fast in some games. It, it was the offensive line for sure. The other thing, though, and this is a thing that I'm going to be watching. Um, I Penn State, you know, they gave up on the run sometimes in games. They ran the ball against Michigan, but they didn't always stick to it. They took way too long to identify who was clearly their, their best running back in Kevon Lee. Noah Kane, ever since he hurt himself in 2020 at Indiana in the season opener, I think he broke his foot. He just hasn't been the same guy. And I think I think Noah, A, saw the writing on the wall when they brought Nick Singleton in, the five-star from Pennsylvania. But he also knew that Mike Yurcich is an offensive coordinator that is fascinated with just throwing the ball down the field. And I, I think James Franklin got a little annoyed with Mike Yurcich last year because James knows you have to be at least a little bit balanced, especially against a good team. Because if they know what you're going to do and you get predictable, eventually they're going to figure some ways to slow you down. I think I think the second biggest reason why they struggled to run the ball is they simply just gave up on it. Uh, they didn't run it enough, uh, but the offensive line that is now replacing three starters, um, you know, played played a big role in that as well. They're, they are not deep on the offensive line, um, but I do think they I think in Kevon Lee and I think in Nick Singleton, the five star, he's certainly I don't think he's I know he was the Gatorade player of the year. Travion Henderson's a pretty special running back. I don't know. We're, I'm going to need to see him for a month before I make that comparison. But, uh, you know, it's going to come down to the offensive line play. They're going to have to stay committed to the run, even when it doesn't have success early. And the other thing is um, Sean Clifford has to be a more efficient thrower, number one. He's got to stay healthy, number two. Um and he's got to get Penn State out of bad plays uh, when they're there at the line of scrimmage. He's, he's going to be 24 next month. 
he he's in his second year in Mike Yersich's offense, which I'm sure takes him getting used to, but I think he's got to do a better job of getting Penn State into the right play. And if all those things happen, I think you're going to see a Penn State running game turn around. I'm high on Nick Singleton. I, I just need to see it. I need to see it from Sean Clifford. And I, I'm tired of hearing um, – I think even James Franklin's tired of talking about, you know, bringing in four-star recruits to play offensive line. We're really excited about these guys. And then they get pushed around at Michigan – or they get pushed around in key junctures, or it's third and one, and they're in that spread. They won't go under center. It's third and one, and they lose two yards. It's 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 so many things could be fixed by Penn State's offense, but I don't know if they want to do it. Nick Singleton, the number one running back, the number thirty-one overall player in the class of twenty-two, yeah. according to the two four seven Sports composite. Like Ohio State was talking to that guy. Like, like this guy's. Yeah, got to be cautious. I get it. But like, this is a dude. This is like, oh, your run game has problems. What are you going to do to fix it? I don't know. How about get the number one running back recruit in the country? This guy has a chance to be a game changer. And again, it all feeds on itself, right? You don't commit to the run. So then teams aren't afraid of it. So then they, they don't respect it. And then you can't throw because Sean Clifford gets hurt and the backup quarterbacks in and the play caller likes to chuck it and all the things feed into each other. It could be. It could be kind of a quick fix if the back is good and the play caller gets his head on straight and the quarterback play is better. It could be like, boom, boom, boom. The balanced offense is back. He's got, he had, I think he had a really good spring. I think he, he is physically very comparable to Saquon Barkley in terms of breakaway threat and also a powerful runner. I don't know that he can jump over anyone like Barkley did, but you know what? A, a, a difference-making back can do one thing that 95% of the running backs can't. He can turn a busted play or a, a play that looks like it's going nowhere, either into a touchdown or into a into a 25-yard run that changes the field or puts a team in the red zone. Travion Henderson, I remember in the Penn State game last year, Penn State actually, except for like one play, made him work for all of it. He ended up, it looked like he had a great day. I think he had 28 carries for 160 yards, but he had that one big run in the second half that really I thought loosened up Penn State's defense. They had him stop. They had him stop. He got out. He got out the gate on one play. Really changed, I think, the way things were going for Ohio State. Um, and, and I just think that that the first game I think I remember I saw he played in the Minnesota game. He only had a couple of touches, but I think one of them went for a 70-yard touchdown. I don't know that Nick Singleton initially is going to be a guy that gets 20, 25 carries and it's the feature back, but if they give him the ball 10 times and on two plays, he does something like that. That's all James Franklin's looking for. I think he's got the talent to do it. And he's got, he has got the ability to make, you know, what the Penn state's offensive line doesn't block it. Right. And there's one guy waiting for him. He's got the talent to make that guy miss and go 50 or 60 yards. He's from Reading, Pennsylvania. You, you read the uh, rabbit series. The John Updike Rabbit series, Bob. You ever read those books? I did not. I did not. They're so good. I'm not much for uh, reading. I'm mostly for talking. You, you just, know? Yeah. but but John Updike. There, it's based. It doesn't say it's in Reading, but he he's from Reading, and he it's right. it's, a, it's a series. My friend calls them bopping around novels, where right. it's just about a guy bopping around. He's <laughs> twenty. He's twenty six for the first novel, and then it's like every decade there's a new novel, and it works through his life. It's really good. The Rabbit series, I would highly recommend it to anybody. As you guys get ready for the college football season, you know, 
It's not exactly a beach read, but people will think you're smart if you're reading John Updike at the beach. So if you're going to a lake, you're going to a beach, you're going to the mountains, you're just going out to a cabin or somewhere, going fishing or whatever, going hunting, just hanging out. Try it. Okay. My cheap. We need John- to get we need to get you to the beach at some point, and you can get back to that pizza place you're you're craving. I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I, I will take note of that of that novel. Well, just you and me, just hanging out in the boardwalk, reading John Updike, eating pizza. I mean, what's better than that? What's better? I'll tell my family, hey, I can't go on vacation with you guys. I'm going to meet Flounders. We're going to read books and eat pizza. Mako pizza is that it? Mac and Manco, Mac and Manco. Okay, I got. But it. again, then again, Mac and Manco were the two guys that had a fight. They split. Now it's just Manco and Manco. So it's very complicated. It hurt my heart for my pizza guys to be fighting, but I think the pizza still tastes good. <laughs> That's all that matters. So do they have guys to chuck it to? I like Parker Washington. He's from Texas. I yeah. think of him sort of like a junior version of like Garrett Wilson and Jackson Fifth yeah. and Jigba. He wasn't a five-star recruit, but he's a real dude. Jahan Dotson is hard to replace. But I think Parker Washington, like he profiles as a number one guy in a passing offense, right? Yeah, he's a he's one of those guys that is not he's he's he is short, but he's not small. So he's like five, nine, five, ten, but he's like two, ten. And good luck getting him to the ground. He's very good in and out of cuts. He doesn't drop the football, runs good routes. Uh, He is he's definitely a legit number one threat, although everyone assumes like the number one threats always got to be six two, one ninety, and can win all the contested catches. He does it a little bit differently, but he does it well. Um, and they also uh, they have Keandre Lambert Smith back, who is now going to be a three year starter. I think is going to take a big step forward. He's a gifted player who can get deep. And they they did get in into the transfer portal for a fourteen hundred yard receiver from Western Kentucky named Mitchell Tinsley. And I would not look for that kind of yardage at, at Penn State, but I think for, to be a starter in a three wide receiver three wide receiver offense, Clifford has three options who can legitimately, if they get open, they can hurt a defense. That's something. And the other thing is they have these three gifted tight ends that just need to put it all together. They really have three talented tight ends and they, they probably have not been used enough. Uh, I think they can be bigger weapons in the red zone, but I could make a case. They have, they have three tight ends and four wide outs that, that could hurt a defense. So if Penn state does not, if Penn state does not thrive in the passing game, it, it will not be the fault of the skill guys. I think between the tight ends, the wideouts, and when you have Kevon Lee and Nick Singleton, if there's blame to be passed, it's either going to be the OC, the quarterback, or the offensive line. There's no reason why this team should not, with those skill positions, uh, should not kind of consistently score in the, in the mid-30s. And that is with a questionable offensive line. Last year, class of 2022, Ohio State had the best recruiting class in the Big Ten. Penn State had the second best recruiting class in the Big Ten. And by the way, five-star recruits in the Big Ten in the class of 2022, Michigan had one, Ohio State had two, Penn State had three. Nick Singleton's one of them. Drew Aller is another. This is what everybody wants to know about. That's why you save it to the end. It's podcasting 101. Ohio kid, Ohio State tried to get in late. Penn State was in there early. Ohio State goes national for the quarterbacks. Penn State says, we'll take your Ohio five-star. Drew Aller, I certainly am just, I'm on the bandwagon. I think he's the real deal. And then James Franklin and Mike Yersich have to figure this out. Sean Clifford has been a tough dude, right? He's fought. He's limited in a lot of ways, but he's put it on the line for Penn State. And when he got hurt last year, that's what torpedoed their season Mm -hmm. because they didn't have a backup quarterback. That's not his fault. 
If he's healthy, they beat Iowa. They keep rolling. Who knows what happens? They certainly have a better year than they would have the way things worked out. How are they going to solve this? And by week nine, by Halloween, by late October, when Ohio State comes to State College, who is going to be playing quarterback for Penn State? Drew Aller or Sean Clifford? You know, if it's not Clifford, it's, it might be Christian Veyu, the number two. They just, they took their time. I know he's a five-star. I know he's gifted, but they really took their time with, and he enrolled early, as did another uh, quarterback uh, from Central York, Bo Prabula. Uh, they took their time with these guys and they, they gave, all, you know, say for a, maybe the, a couple of late practices, all the reps went to, all the reps went to, went to uh, Clifford and Veyu. Veyu is a talented guy. I, you're asking the same question all of the Penn State fan base is asking. Yep. And, and the body language and listening to James Franklin and listening a little bit to Mike Yurcich screams, we're all in with Clifford again this year. It's not, I think, what anyone wants to hear. It could certainly change. Sometimes sometimes fate intervenes and maybe, you know, there's an injury and, and he is fast-tracked. But it's a substantial hill, I think, for Drew to climb in his first year given how they handled him in the spring and how I think they're going to handle him in August. It's a, the path for him to get the starting job is going to be awfully difficult. I think, I think Penn state's approach was always, we really believe in you. We want to make sure you're comfortable. We don't want to, we don't want to force it. He's a five-star quarterback. Do you really force on a five-star quarterback? I think the plan for them was always to take a real hard, long look at him in 2023 I don't know that I agree with that, but I'm just saying that was the vibe I got. And that's everything James Franklin said leads me to believe that it, you're going to have to pry that. You're going to have to pry that football out of Sean Clifford's dead hands, man. You really are. So at a place like Ohio State, I have given up on trying to predict when is their championship year? When is a, oh, there might be a little bit young because yeah. right when you think you know it, they're a year early, they're a year late, whatever. James Franklin gets the extension, gets a little bump. New ADs in, hey, we're you know, yeah. we're not rushing anything. I don't think it's unreasonable for Penn State's goal to be to make the playoff in 2024 with Drew Aller and Nick Singleton as juniors. Yeah. And that is not like what what do you need? You need an elite, you have to have an elite, unless you're Georgia, you need <laughs> an elite quarterback. Right. So we're gonna have a third year five-star quarterback, we're gonna have a third year five-star running back. We're going to make sure we build up the offensive line around him. Penn State always has receivers. We'll find them. We got Manny Diaz here. We're going to pay him and make sure that he's not leaving until he gets another really good head coaching job. And in 2024, we're going to make the playoff. I've heard worse plans. Right. And it, it, I would say I would say that is the, that's the path that makes sense to me, just the way that he goes about his business and just the way that he's gone about recruiting the offensive line. He's done very well. He's got a couple of really impressive classes coming in. And by 2024, you would like to think that all this recruiting on the offensive line is paid off and they really go into a year where they feel comfortable with their offensive line. But you're right. You get a five-star running back on campus. You get a five-star quarterback on campus at Penn state with the way that you typically play defense, like last year, like last year, they have been, they've had, had other, they've had some pretty good defenses. 19 was good. Last year was really good. You hit the transfer portal for the missing pieces when they know that they're coming into a situation where they can win. If it's not 2024, Doug, 
I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. Then you say this is the best they recruited to this and then they still couldn't develop it or they couldn't scheme it up to take advantage of it. And now welcome Matt rule, Jeff Halfley, Luke fickle coach X, because this theoretically was the best James Franklin could do. And it still didn't hit in that will have been his 11th year at Penn state. If you can't, can't figure it out in 11 years. And I know he probably should have been in the playoff in 2016. It is what it is. Uh, the expectation when he came here, he's being paid to be in the playoff. Uh, and he's now recruited the talent to be in the playoff. If it's not, if they're not in the playoff by 2024, I don't know that he'll see a 2025. So who wants to ask the question at big 10 media days, <laughs> you or me, James, is it fair to say that 2024 is playoff or bust for you? You can, do you, you can, uh, I know, I know what he's going to say, but yeah, it, it is a fair question. Uh, I think those questions are, start, are going to start to come if, if this year starts to look a lot like last year late in the season. But you could absolutely ask that question, Doug. He, will, he is a game-to-game. I'm focused on Purdue. I get the question. I understand the question. We're trying to compete with Ohio State. It's going to be – you'll see a filibuster like you cannot even imagine. And I'll just be looking at you, shaking my head, saying, hey, at least you tried James, will you pledge to quit if you don't make the playoff in 2024? Uh, I will say 2023, though, seems like it's it seems like it's going to be Ohio State quarterbacked by Pennsylvania and Kyle McCord against Penn State quarterbacked by Ohio and Drew Aller. That could be pretty fun. So that'll be a little crossover. Uh, so, uh, so for the, can you tell just real quick, what, if, what are your impressions of McCord? I know he was a five-star. I know he's from Pennsylvania, but like they, they stack quarterbacks so well at Ohio state. I was beginning to wonder if he would even be on the team uh, next year. So what, what do you like about him? And is, is, is he worthy of Ohio state five-star quarterbacks that is he that good of a player? It felt like arm talents there, I think, can do some of the off-platform stuff, that kind of thing. When he got thrown in as a starter last year against Akron, clearly wasn't ready. And then the way things, as C.J. Stroud developed in the last two-thirds of the year, you could hear Ryan Day say things about C.J.'s work ethic, about C.J. Stroud's dedication to film, about C.J. Stroud's preparation for practice every day that sort of sounded like, Listen yeah. up, everybody else in the room. Yeah. Do you see how CJ does it? So I do think, I mean, listen, it was a tough spot from record. Thrown it as a true freshman to start in week sure. four. I think it was a big, like, watch what this guy does. So I think Kyle McCord, he's, only, he's a year younger than CJ Stroud. I think he's getting two years of tutelage under that guy. But a lot of the natural stuff, you know, CJ is, we always say CJ's best weapon is his brain processing finding the right guy, being accurate. Kyle, I do think, has maybe a little more when it comes to, like, let's make a play kind of stuff. And, you know, Justin Fields kind of had that. You just have to rein that in a little bit. But I just think they want him to learn how to be a quarterback. And I think he has come a long way with that. So it feels like he's still on track, that he is the 2023 starter, unless something unexpected happens. Um and then you see what happens. But we all, you know, you got to remember, he's the guy. Ryan Day kind of had his pick of the country and yeah. went to Philly and said, I pick you. So he's only been here a year. There's no reason to think that Ryan Day still doesn't like the guy. But I think he had to learn how to be a quarterback. I think before we go, I think it would be great if somehow Texas got it together this year. 
under is I think Sark's still the coach. They yeah. had a really a breakout year, and, and so in some way they found their way into a matchup with Ohio State. So we could oh. see we could see the kid with the mullet with the with the great arm go against this great uh, Ohio State offense and maybe have a chance to stick it to Ohio State. That good enough. I'm here for. Let's plan it for 2024. Yeah, Penn State, Texas, Ohio State, all in the playoffs. <laughs> Ohio together. State can play them both. Yeah. Let's do that. Drew Aller, Ohio State has to get through <laughs> Drew Aller and Quinn Ewers on the way. That would be great. Yeah. To a national title. Uh, Bob Flounders, you know, it's always a good time. The time just flies, man. It does. That just flies. It doesn't feel like an hour and 10 minutes. Thanks for doing it. You know, we always appreciate it. You got to go read penlive.com, people. Keep up with the Nittany Lions. I think they're going to be good. Okay. They are, I actually, I believe both in Wisconsin and Penn State this year, which is not where I always am. But I just think, I think Manny Diaz might be a difference yeah. maker. And I think Nicholas Singleton might be a difference maker. And I, that could fix a decent chunk of what didn't work last year. If Penn State gets, gets its act together this year and they're a nine or 10 win team, I, I do believe that Nick Singleton is going to have a huge say in that. And I've heard nothing, nothing I have heard in spring and in workouts and all that has, has leads me to believe that he is not, he's healthy going to really, really, really shake up the Penn State football world. I think he has the talent. And I will say, I do think that Penn State season could look something like Michigan State's last year, where Michigan State is a 10-win team. It's a New Year's Six Bowl team. And when they played Ohio State, they got blown off the field. Like, you weren't <laughs> you weren't quite ready for that. I don't think yeah. this is going to be one of those years. Penn State, as we've said a million times, until Michigan did it last year, Penn State was the only team in the Big Ten that wasn't afraid of Ohio State. Yeah. I don't know that this is a get over the top year for Penn state against Ohio state. Cause Ohio state is going to have so much, but I think it can be a, a really good sort of reset, reground yourself, play some good solid football and get ready for what's next with some real anticipation. And then we'll come back in 2023 and 2024 and see if that gap between Penn state, Ohio state, maybe is closed. Uh, I think I think the Penn State fan base would like that. I think James Franklin and his coaches would very much like that. I, I just think that they've been mediocre long enough. Uh, you can say that they'd started five and zero, but that team that finished the year just was not anything other than average. So it is about time, and they definitely have recruited well. And it, it could just be he could be the guy that really puts them over the top. I hope it happens. And I think I think the fan base is just tired of yeah. The last two years, I think, have really dragged on the on the Penn State fan base, and I think they want to feel good. The Penn State fan base wants to get back to any game we play on our schedule in the regular season, we have a shot at winning. And I don't think they felt that for most of the last two years. He's Bob Flounders. That was the Penn State, Ohio State preview. It's the eighth game of the season for Ohio State, week nine, Halloween weekend. <laughs> Bob will be there. I'll be there. You guys will be there. We think it'll be at noon. And Bob, thanks so much for coming on Buckeye Talk and chatting us up. For Bob Flounders, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>